You're listening to episode number 11 of Strike the Match. In this episode, my guest is Werner Mishka. We discuss his latest book, The Global Gospel. So with that in mind, let's... Welcome to Strike the Match with pastor and missiologist Dr. J.D. Strike the Match is a podcast that addresses matters related to missions, innovation, and leadership. Now here's J.D. In uh, missionary circles today, uh, there is a book that has just recently come off the press, and it is getting some some good traction. And um, uh, it's a book that is is approaching issues related to the gospel from an angle that a lot of us in the West are not. Uh, talking about that often. Uh, so today uh, with me on Strike the Match, I have Werner Mishka. Uh, I'll, I'll have to spell his last name for you because you'll want to look him up on Amazon or some other place where you can get uh, a copy of his book. Uh, so I'll go ahead and spell it now and uh, uh, share a little bit more about, about my brother here in a second. Werner Mishka, M-I-S-C-H-K-E, M-I-S-C-H-K-E. Uh, Werner is the executive vice president and Director of Training Ministries for Mission One. Uh, recently, he uh, published this book uh, that is is, uh, is much of the topic of our conversation today. The title of the book is called The Global Gospel, uh, Achieving Missional Impact in Our Multicultural World. Uh, it was a book that I was uh, delighted to, to write an endorsement for. And so uh, welcome to Strike the Match, Werner. Thank you so much, J.D. It's a pleasure. And a real honor to be with you. Hey, before we get started talking about, about this, uh, this book, tell us about Mission One. I'm assuming a lot of the listeners may not be familiar with uh, the organization you're part of. Sure. Uh, Mission One was founded in 1991 by Bob Schindler, an evangelist, and, and uh, he had a burden to uh, come alongside indigenous ministries in Africa and Asia. And uh, I joined Bob in 1992. And uh, our ministry is a partnership ministry. We, we believe in cross-cultural partnership as one of the key uh, uh, methods for world evangelization. We have about 15 uh, different partners around the world doing uh, holistic ministry, church planting, and evangelism, uh, largely in the 1040 window among Hindu, Buddhist, Muslim, and tribal peoples. And so we're privileged to partner with some great, great Christian leaders who are reaching uh, their own people and nearby tribes and cultures uh, with the gospel. Man, that that is fantastic. And and so you uh, have written uh, this book, the Global Gospel: Achieving Missional Impact in Our in Our Multicultural World. Uh, it is uh, it's it's a weighty book. It's um, it, it's visually appealing. It is filled with all kinds of, of tables and and graphs, uh, charts, if you will, uh, extensive citations, extensive bibliography. Uh, tell us about this book because I am I'm starting to see it advertised in various places uh, in missionary periodicals that I subscribe to and in other circles as well. So so tell for the people that aren't listening and have not uh, have not caught. Uh, caught wind of the global gospel. What what is this book about? This book, uh, JD, is about how the honor shame dynamics, which are part of the Bible, uh, overlap with the honor shame dynamics that we find in many of the non-Western cultures of our world today. Um, when I uh, 
uh, went to Lebanon in nine, uh, 2009, and, and uh, we shared in a, in a uh, one-day Bible conference with, with uh, our ministry partner there. We went through the book of Philippians. We looked at, uh, tried to understand what was going on in the book of Philippians through the lens of honor and shame. And, uh, and I came back from that seeing the impact that that lens had on some of the people who were were um, in in that Bible study. One young lady said, man, looking at this from honor and shame, which is part of our culture, that has just set me free to share the gospel. And so I came back from that trip thinking, wow, there's a lot to this. And I started reading and writing, doing some training, and uh, two years ago started actually writing this book. And so it's about how the honor-shame dynamics that inform Bible societies can actually be used to articulate the gospel in a way that may better resonate with people from uh, majority world societies. And, and so, so for our listeners that, that are not familiar with that phrase, honor, shame, what, what, what does mm-hmm. that mean? What is honor, shame? Well, honor and shame is what we call the pivotal cultural value of people in Bible societies. Here in the West, we are motivated and structure our social uh, interactions more according to uh, what anthropologists call guilt and innocence. Mm-hmm. And um, we still have uh, uh, the dynamic of honor and, and shame in our own cultures, but it's not to the same degree that it is present in Eastern societies or uh, the the tribal societies, mm-hmm. societies in Latin America, Africa, Asia, um, Meaning where like shaming my family or my parents by it, an act exactly, or exactly, because we're so individualistically oriented here in the West, uh, we don't take into consideration the views and perspectives of our neighborhood, of our society, of our extended family. Uh, people in honor-shame cultures look at life not so much through their own eyes, but through their the eyes of other people in their social group, their family. And so uh, it's, it's just a, a different way of thinking about life and thinking about oneself. Um, one African uh, uh, Christian leader says it this way, uh, in the West, we have, a, we have an adage that says, I think, therefore I am. Well, he says in an African situation or a, a, a collectivistic society, uh, he says, uh, we are, therefore I am. Mm. You know, mm-hmm. So it's, it's a very different way of thinking about who you are as an individual person. You're embedded in the society rather than thinking always individualistically. So, so okay, so I agree with you from a societal level. Yes, there's that collective understanding. Yes, there's that issue of honor and shame. But, but what's the significance of honor and shame and the gospel? Well, I mean, does the in, Bible deal with this issue? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, in the, in the book of Genesis, um, how is it that uh, humanity is described before the fall? Uh, it doesn't say that they were um, naked and not guilty. It mm-hmm. says they were naked and not ashamed. Mm. And what is the first act of kindness that God uh, does for Adam and Eve after uh, their fall into sin? He covers them with the skins of animals. 
he covers their shame. Mm -hmm. So there is actually something just as theologically basic about shame in the Bible as there is about guilt. And um, it starts in Genesis and it runs all the way through to the last chapter of the Bible. Uh, these dynamics of honor and shame. In fact, J.D., uh, studies have been done about how many occurrences of the word guilt and its derivatives as a word are in the Bible versus the number of occurrences of the word shame and its derivatives. And what they've discovered is that shame is more than twice as frequently uh, used in the Bible than the word guilt. Wow. You know, when I was reading through through the draft of this book, um, I I was um, yeah quite quite surprised to see the number of, of passages that you cite that that address this issue of, of shame, this issue of um, uh, of honor, and 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 to be able to bring that into a conversation about the gospel that we share, you know, that that, that that's so important. So so then let, let's let's kind of move in that direction. So like in relation to missionary activity in the world, and mm-hmm. I, you, there obviously you, know, you mentioned about the majority world being very collective and and very much uh, honor and shame based societies. Um, what what is the relation of of understanding that the gospel speaks to this issue of honor and shame? and our missionary activity throughout the world? Well, we can think of this both locally and globally. You know, in our own cities and communities, we are, uh, you know, encountering people not just from uh, the other side of town, but the other side of the world. Absolutely, yeah. And uh, you've written about this in your own book, uh, Strangers Next Door. And, and, and this is part of what God's doing uh, in the world today. He's bringing people from the unreached areas of the world uh, to become our own neighbors. So how do we articulate the gospel to them? How do we build relationships with them? Um, the New Testament itself contextualizes the gospel. Uh, they, uh, there's a, one of the great books that I read um, uh, in order to, do, to write my book is uh, a book by um, Dean Fleming about contextualization in the New Testament. And, and it shows how the New Testament authors uh, connected with the thought forms of the people that they were writing to. Mm-hmm. And we can do that ourselves as we uh, relate to people, whether they're neighbors, co-workers, uh, people in our own uh, cities that are from uh, vastly different cultures uh, than our own, or whether we're, or if we're um, uh, engaged in cross-cultural ministry uh, in another part of the world. And, and this dynamic of honor-shame, what's been so thrilling to me, J.D., is to see that this pivotal cultural value in Bible societies overlaps so significantly with many, many majority world peoples today. And so we can use that dynamic, that commonality, we can use actually concepts that are in the Bible, language that's in the Bible, which may not be informed by our own Western uh, uh, society and our, our Western cultural ba- values, but informed by the, the the cultural values of Bible societies to connect the gospel mm. 
and to, to help the gospel be understood um, by people from honor shame cultures. This is really an exciting uh, thing for me. You know, one of the things that, that you said in the book uh, that I'd like to hear you kind of kind of unpack is that you say that our gospel framework should should not be just legal, but should be legal and regal. Yes, what, yes. What, what what do you mean by that? What what's that? What does that mean? Sure. Well, when we say legal, we're we're familiar with a legal framework for the gospel. For example, uh, I don't know, forty or fifty years ago, Campus Crusade for Christ developed the four spiritual laws. Right. I mean, that is a legal framework for the gospel. It focuses on how the laws of God have been broken, and there are spiritual laws that we must. Uh, understand and connect with in order for us to be saved. Mm-hmm. Um, so we understand the legal framework. So the, ins- the um, issue of innocence and guilt, then, I guess. Innocence and guilt, that's exactly right. We are individually guilty, and we need to individually uh, repent of our sin and guilt in order to be saved. And this is truth. This is, this is a true part of the gospel. Um, when we say legal pr- plus regal, what we're pointing to is that uh, a phrase that's often used in the New Testament is the gospel of the kingdom, mm-hmm. the gospel yes. of the kingdom, uh, where Jesus Christ is, is Lord, uh, King of kings and Lord of lords. And that's reflected oftentimes in, in what we call the honor-shame dynamic of body language, where Jesus Christ is presented as the Son of God who is seated at the right hand of the Father with all of his enemies under his feet. Mm-hmm. And uh, that actually is based upon Psalm 110 and Psalm 8. Uh, and uh, it's the most frequently New Testament uh, it's the most frequently Old Testament uh, passage that's quoted in the New Testament that Jesus Christ is seated at the right hand of God with all of his enemies under his feet. Mm-hmm. And the gospel is connected to that sovereign power and and uh, victorious conquest of Christ over sin, over Satan, over uh, sin and guilt, over sin and shame. Uh, over all the forces of darkness. And and so there are multiple gospel passages which deal with this, which as Westerners we tend to overlook. And so that's why we're advocating legal plus regal. So basically the, uh, the regal aspect that you're talking about specifically addresses this issue of honor and shame. Most definitely. When we think about a kingdom... Uh, we uh, have to think about a king. That king in the New Testament is Jesus Christ. He is the fulfillment of the longings of Israel and uh, of God's purpose in the Old Testament. And and so uh, we can show from New Testament scriptures that one way of thinking about salvation is that a person who repents and follows Jesus Christ has a new source of honor. That new source of honor is Jesus Christ, their king, our king, and by living in his kingdom and being a part of his regal family, which of course is referred to in uh, uh, 1 Peter chapter 2, uh, we are a royal priesthood, you know, and, mm-hmm. and so um, 
I believe that understanding salvation as having a new source of honor, a new king to whom we owe our lives and our allegiance and our loyalty, uh, that is a, a, a beautiful way of, of understanding salvation. And I believe it's the way many of the early uh, believers in the early church understood salvation. If, if we really connect with these honor-shame dynamics and understand how they motivated people in the first century. You know, in, in the book you, t- you talk about um, uh, that this issue of not seeing the, the aspect of honor and shame throughout the scriptures is, is really a blind spot for, for many Western pastors. Uh, so wh- why do you think that that we have not seen it over the years. I mean, we're. I know there's nothing new under the sun, and I know you're not claiming to have discovered some new thing that's not been out there. But that's correct. But, yeah. But why? Why is that? Why has the? Why has the blind spot been there? Yeah. Well. Well. Uh, a couple things about that, JD. First of all, there is no single theology, uh, whether it's Western theology or. Latin American theology or African theology that's without blind spots. I mean, it's just right. part of our, it's part of the human condition. We're, uh, biblical truth is always larger than our own theology. Uh-huh. Uh, secondly, with regard to Western theology, uh, what do we consider to be the apex or the, the ultimate expression of Western theology? Normally, we, we look at systematic theology. And what's so interesting, J.D., is that if you look at the systematic theologies, and uh, uh, Timothy Tennant has done the church a tremendous favor by writing about this book, about this in his book, uh, uh, Christianity in the Context of, uh, or excuse me, Theology in the Context of World Christianity. what he did is he looked at all of the systematic theologies, or the vast majority of them that were accessible to him uh, when he wrote the book, and he discovered that guilt has abundant references in systematic theology. It's part of the legal framework of the gospel, Mm -hmm. but shame is uh, almost completely ignored uh, uh, by the systematic theologies as a matter of theological inquiry. So in our own seminaries, pastors do not learn about shame. Pastors aren't taught to preach about shame. Uh, shame, you know, is taboo. We don't like to mm. deal with shame issues. So uh, the church sometimes um, just doesn't know how to grapple with shame dynamics uh, that are that are actually very widespread. And so um, it is an issue uh, in the Western church. And then when we think about the fact that many Christian leaders in the majority world have been trained by Western Christian leaders or been uh, shaped by Western theological textbooks, uh, we see that this blind spot is actually carried over to Christian leaders in the non-Western world uh, in the majority world, who are trying to reach their own people mm-hmm. and uh, train their own people, many of whom are in honor shame cultures, and then the blind spot is perpetuated. Uh, it's it's really <laughs> unfortunate yeah. because there's so much in the Bible about honor and shame that that can connect with um, you know people all over the world in in honor shame cultures. For those that want to get a copy of the book. Uh, obviously, they could probably go through Amazon 
they could yes. uh, find it uh, online and other places. Uh, again, the, the title of the book is, is The Global Gospel, uh, Achieving Missional Impact in Our Multicultural World. Uh, the author, uh, guest that's been with me today is Werner Mishka, M-I-S-C-H-K-E. I think I got that right, brother. Is that right? That is good, yes. Tell us how we can, uh, we can track you down. Where are you online? Well, I'm online. There's a website for the book called uh, globalgospelbook.org. Okay. Also, uh, my my uh, blog is wernermishka.org. And uh, so you can uh, uh, find uh, the book there and uh, read uh, stuff that I've uh, uh, written at my blog. Also, the book website has a number of free resources. There's uh, chapter excerpts uh, available for for free. And uh, um, and it has you know the endorsements from various people there that you can check out. So yeah, we're uh, we're writing, and uh, we're we're grateful to be a part of the conversation. Fantastic. So make sure if you have not obtained a copy of this this book that you do so. You can find it online at various sites, or you can check out uh, globalgospelbook.org. Uh, track uh, Werner down on his blog at. WernerMishka.org. I'm going to spell that out for you, the full thing. So get your pen and pencil ready. Here it is. W-E-R-N-E-R-M-I-S-C-H-K-E dot O-R-G. Werner, thank you so very much for being on Strike the Match today. It's been an honor talking with you, and uh, thank you for, for this, this book that you put together. Thank you so much, JG. J.D., it's been a real joy to be with you. You have been listening to Strike the Match with J.D. Payne. You can find J.D. on Facebook or follow him on Twitter at J.D. underscore Payne. And if you'd like to check out more books, posts, and podcast episodes, visit jdpayne.org. You can also subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. And we'd be honored if you would consider rating us or leaving comments. Thanks again for tuning in. We hope you'll join us next time.